0: Hello, and welcome to our episode of Is Vicious Just Fantasy? I am your host, Jordy Bailey. But before we begin the show, uh, I'd like to give an apology that there were some pretty serious audio errors with this recording session. Um, I'm going to be real. The first part is probably the worst I've ever sounded. But at a certain point, like two-thirds of the way through, we did fix the audio error, and I sound the best I've ever sounded. So basically, it averages out to being a normal episode. Please just remember that this is indeed a normal episode, and have a wonderful day. Hello and welcome to another episode of Is This Just Fantasy? I'm your host, Gordy Bailey. And I'm his motorcycling elephant friend, Duncan Nichol. I promise that will make sense in time if you continue to listen to this episode. Hello, Duncan. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great today, Gordy. It's been a while. It has been a while. You know, it, it, we've done so many bonus episodes recently that, um... It, it really feels like a, a long time since we've done a two-week gap. What have you been up to in the meantime? Oh, not a lot, not a lot. As you know, I have the continued like
1: joys of doing DIY projects. But Oh yes, fun, fun. Fun, fun times. But no, I've actually, um, in addition to reading The Amber Spyglass, I've actually read quite a few other works um, in this little gap. I've been to you know, actually real kind of Drive. Since reading The Subtle Knife, Mm. I've kind of got my mojo back. The whole first half of this year, I was like, yeah, read the book for the podcast, maybe a few comics. Mm. But now I'm like, no, I have that first again. It's like, I can't read fast enough. So... Well, that's great. What have you been reading then? Right. So the first thing, um, in addition to the Amber Spyglass, our book of the day, was I read a really interesting comic called uh, Scarlet Traces. Ever heard of it? I have not. Well, so it's a comic book. Um, and what it is, it's a, um, it's a sequel, it's a sequel to um, HG Wells' War of the Worlds. Mm. And what it kind of like um, says is, what if after the war, the British Empire went mm-hmm. and took advantage of all this Martian technology that had been left around mm. and like hyper-industrialized no, no. itself ahead of all other nations?
0: And so it's sort of about, like the British Empire now rules the world with Martian technology. Unfortunately, not. So when I heard the premise, that's what my brain went through. I'm like, oh yeah, this is going
1: to be this going to continue the themes of colonialism that in the original mm. text. I was even thinking like, oh, it might do a bit of a man can be just as evil kind of idea, but mm. not really. So, what it actually focuses on is uh, class disparity in the UK and the impact of industrialisation on that disparity. Okay, sure. And the main theme is that, you know, with the sudden uncontrolled rise in technological advancement, mm. those people, like this huge swathes of like the n- people in like the north of England who relied on manual labour jobs, mm. are just redundant now. And instead of it being kind of a utopia of, well, wow, we've got all this bountiful resource, let's spread it around, these people are just being left to effectively just die in the slums and then I'm, then they'll bulldoze over it later um mm. and it explores this thing kind of through a, a murder mystery with a sort of a sherlock and watson duo interesting it's interesting and that's what i say i i wasn't like i want to read the next volume of it it was interesting mm-hmm. it had good ideas i do feel like maybe the concept and the story it's telling is is out of sync to what i wanted but it ended the end of this volume is the government deciding that to solve the issue of the massive like social unrest at home the best solution is to launch a patriotic war against the martians on their planet (laughs) and that was enough of the hook that i kind of went yep reading the next one gotta see how that plays out
0: interesting Right, well, hopefully the all of humanity doesn't catch the alien version of the common cold <laughs> and uh, and perish uh, in an ironic twist.
1: Uh, let's hope so. And then I read another book, and Dordie, I just I'm just going to describe to you the plot of this fantasy book. And I want you you can you can you know by the vibes know exactly what series this must be in. Okay.
0: This is it Conan pastiche?
1: Oh, damn it!
0: All right, go ahead.
1: Yes, by Steve Perry, Conan the Fearless. Um, right. It's about the murderous mage of the Black Square, so Vartus. Black is, Square is on the hunt. You're running out of names. for the child who controls the fire elementals. He has the other three children of the elements. Will he find the fourth child and bring forth the thing of power? Actually, what it's called? Or will Conan get in his way? Wait, is this
0: about Captain Planet? <laughs>
1: it's absolutely loony there is a white a full-on he's called he's like a white mage in this book um spells are sent zipping but i knew that i was going to love this story Um, Mm on the last line of the first page i'm going to read you an extract and you tell me if this isn't an author you want to read more books by okay here's the scene a dark sorcerer has summoned forth a demon from hell to do his bidding Mm. This is the description of the demon. He was half again as tall as a man, with skin the colour of fresh blood. He stood naked and hairless, and only a blind man could have failed to see how awesomely male he was. Oh, for heaven's (laughs) sake. Oh, boy. I mean the concept of something being awesomely male comes up several times in
0: this book. And I was just like... I wonder under what sort of concept. <laughs> uh, so okay. I read yeah. that. So it's a, a week of good literature for you, Duncan. You know, like, only the highbrow stuff. Mate, that
1: is that is what I'm about. I read The Amber Spyglass and, I'm like, I need something else to scratch that itch of, like, intellectual ideas and concepts. Hmm. So I go
0: out and find them. Don't you worry. Um, but over to you, Jordy. What have you been up to the last two weeks? Uh, I I'm afraid I have not been doing as much reading. I actually feel the opposite as you view. I feel like I'm in a bit of a slump right now. I I can't even like find like that many podcasts that I'm really bad interested in right now. Uh, and I and I feel like I need them. I'm feeling a bit listless. <laughs> Mind you, I feel so much busier than normal. I have uh, way way too many commitments. But I am um. We did have a really exciting weekend last week. Whilst we weren't recording, I took a trip to Rome to see a Bruce Springsteen concert.
1: Oh, that sounds amazing.
0: Now, if I'm not mistaken, mm. that was for your birthday? That was for my birthday, yes. It, Congratulations. it was an amazing time. Thank you, Duncan.
1: Uh, so where did you go and see it then? What venue in Rome?
0: Yes, I went to see it at the Circus Maximus. It was actually my second time seeing Bruce Springsteen at the Circus Maximus.
1: Okay. Firstly, for those who don't know, that's the Chariot
0: Place. And secondly, that's the right. second time we just like happening yes, yes.
1: again, guys. Booking the
0: tickets. <laughs> I went with my dad in 2016 uh, for my 18th birthday, and now uh, I've gone again for uh, for my 25th birthday.
1: 25 was a very interesting mm. age for me, and I don't know. I want to know if you had like similar experiences. 24, I wasn't like super thrilled at being 24 um probably raised the fact that we were in the middle of a, a pandemic but still yes that um, do it. 24 wasn't super thrilled i because i was old geordie
0: i was so old for that 18 to like 25 brackets dan can you know that like people older than 27 are gonna listen to this podcast right no
1: i he, but hear me out but then i got really upbeat when i turned 25 because then i was mm. really young for 25 to 30 <laughs> And th- I think hopefully that's what's going to keep happening in life. Like 29, I'm going to like, oh my God, I'm so old for like 25 to and gonna 30. And I'm going to turn 30 and i am be like,
0: hey, I'm like 10 years young, 40. I don't think that's going to happen, Duncan. I don't think that's going to happen when you turn 30. I think you're like, that will be a bit of a Rubicon. <laughs> I, I don't even know what Rubicon is. Is it good? Bad? It's, uh, it, uh, it's the point of no return. <laughs> it is also a Roman thing. You learn these things, Duncan, when you go to Rome. Or Roma, as we call it. How wonderful.
1: I haven't been to Rome now since 2011. When oh, no, a school
0: trip... The am sure school it's trip changed a lot. I mean, it has changed a bit. They found the Palace of Nero. Oh, where did they uh, misplace it? Uh, I, th- I mean, I think it fell over. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were searching for a subway. We should ask our pal Giacomo about that. He can tell you all about uh, all the Roman archaeological digs that keep slowing down public transportation. <laughs> I mean, it shocks me that London doesn't have that issue more often with the tube. Or d- d- well, in London, they, they just go... did something, like, from well, years ago, though, didn't we? Like, they were digging the tube, and to be honest, though, the thing about the tube is that a good portion of it was built in, like, the Edwardian era, right? And they probably just, like, didn't fucking can, you know? <laughs> just bulldozed through, like, Viking burial sites and, like, like, can't stop the march of industry, boys,
1: keep going they probably thought they were doing everyone a favour. Like, and we're cleaning up the messes we go. God, well, these Vikings well, just leave their jug lying stuff here.
0: It's all this. this. Here lies the the body of King Ah Ah. Well, who cares? Build those straight for it. But whilst I was in Rome, yep. I was and, and most heretically because I was literally right next to the Vatican whilst listening to the amber spyglass, the amber spyglass okay the third book in his dark materials trilogy
1: what do you think of it geordie just in a very in a sentence or two what do you think of the amber spyglass and what do you now think of his Dark materials as
0: a whole um i think that this book sort of it most clearly demonstrates philip Pullman as a writer in the most positive and most negative lights that was a sentence
1: yeah that's no, that's very good i'm just not really going to add to that i'm just going to say that i agree i think this book most clearly demonstrates the themes and ideas of Hmm. the here's dark material trilogy Um, and in doing so i think it takes us very far away from the northern lights and maybe the innocent starting point that a young person might have uh stuck you know the road they started on this is not the uh ending i think they would have foresaw no, in terms not of both the
0: ideas, themes, story, and how it's written. I said in our episode on The Subtle Knife that I felt like The Subtle Knife and the Amp Spyglass were quite divorced from the Northern Lights. They feel like their own little duology, a sort of sequel series to the Northern Light, as opposed to direct sequels. But actually, kind of wanna take that back upon a rereading of it because This book is a lot more Northern Lightsy than The Sutton Life was.
1: Um, Now, I'm going to interpret that as this one's a bit more, we're going on an adventure, we're meeting interesting characters,
0: kind of episode, episode, episode. Exactly. That is what I'm saying. And it's also, not for nothing, there's a lot of just weird guys, you know? You meet a lot of weird creatures.
1: Yep, there are. There's some fantastically weird creatures. Some weird creatures that I'd completely forgotten about from when I first read this as a kid. That's a great point.
0: Duncan, what did you not remember from
1: when you read this as a kid? Oh, gosh, Jordy. Um, Quite huge swathes of the novel is the, the same for me. Alarmingly large swathes of the novel. So there's particularly there's some really key characters called mm-hmm. the, um. I'm going to butcher this, Gullivampians. The Galavespians. Galavespians, Who are they they're there's like three of them, their characters throughout love this novel. Completely forgot their entire species exist.
0: Um What's a Galavespian like Duncan?
1: I'm gonna say it's a pretty hardcore kind of fairy, like traditional wings, small They don't have wings, but yes. So well yeah. <laughs> Do they not? Because they move about no. sometimes with skill and speed. and i know they 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 don't have have dragonflies because they need dragonflies to ride on they're cool and they have these really cool like um poison heels like little i think it's like a little yeah it's like a little um stinger
0: spurs spurs on the back of their heels really cool i think Doug, you're missing the most important thing which is that they are the size of your palm they are like tiny
1: yeah that's what i mean by fair they're
0: like tinkerbell size but no, well, but Duncan, we already read <laughs> Call of the Court of Thorns and Roses. A lot of people might think that fairies are tall and hot and all have six, ap- yeah. six packs.
1: So, did you know, that just goes to show that, like, when I say fairy, I still think of like a Tinkerbell mm-hmm. um, over mm-hmm. any other fae. Similar to when I say elves, I will still always go to the Lord of the Rings elf over like the Father Christmas one. One I, has just um... superseded the other in my mind. The Lover I definitely think of Thumbelina
0: a lot. Do you have watched Thumbelina? I actually have not watched Thumbelina. Do tell. I don't think you're missing much, but the fact <laughs> they ride on um, dragonflies did remind me of the fact that a prince and bat rides in a bumblebee. Is, is it an animated show? Is it like a live action? It is a animated Don loose oh, You know, like, same sort of era as, like, uh, The Secret of NIMH, that sort of thing. I'd
1: have... Seen of Nim, that is an amazing movie. You
0: should read the book. One I have day. not actually, I should watch it. You, but Galavespians and also the other weird people we meet are the Mulafa. You forgot the Mulafa? No, I did not forget the Mulafa. Uh, they, they stood out very distinctly to me, but they are weird guys and they appear in this book. They are very of... weird. But still, on like the things I forgot, I do want to just mm.
1: round down this list. There's yes. a whole sequence with the character of Mrs. Coulter and yes. a bomb. That yep, it's an action that. scene. It's in the snow. People are dying. She's like racing. It's an intense, cool scene. I think it's near like a dam, like a hydro dam. They need the energy or something. Yep. And completely gone in my mind. It's actually Not quite good. James Bondy. Yeah, <laughs> incredibly so. Like I could actually see it as like a level in like a James Bond video game.
0: Mm. Like stop the bomb before it goes off, and there's a countdown timer.
1: You have to like I race the
0: entire. It the entire climax of this book like i knew how it ended and i knew some of how we got to the ending but everything about like the actual like great battle except for like lord asriel and Miss Coulter's part in it it's not every single bit of it
1: same i genuinely read in this book there's a bit where our characters go to the land of the dead and come out mm. and i actually thought we went directly from that to reuniting with their me demons me too me too exactly how have we
0: misremembered this in such the same way i think it's really interesting because there's plenty of things that we forget about books that we read a long time ago that's that's normal but it's striking to me that like the same stuff has stood out to us i can't believe we forgot the galavespians like they're so I really like the galavespians they're one of my favorite parts of this book
1: did you okay there's another part of this book which i didn't forget but it was weirdly really pronounced in my mind and i don't mm. know why maybe this is i think this might just be me there's a uh, chapter in this book called vodka yeah and in i it, know why i forgot that will meets a man who's a bit creepy and yes. sissy drinks some vodka in yes. my head i thought this bloke was like a major road stop like he he's a villain and will has to fight his way away from it or like he's the one that like raises the alarm or something that doesn't happen. He's a bit no. creepy, but then Will basically just walks away.
0: Yeah. And that wasn't I how I remembered it. I didn't remember this at all. And I think the reason why I didn't remember this at all is that it would just didn't compute to me um, as a kid. I know upon reading it, you know, you're getting refreshed, but this is sort of how I like first heard the word vodka. But basically, and man, I can't believe we we're going into this at the start before we even summarise what happens to the book, but... So, this book is the most nakedly anti-religion of the, uh, of the trilogy, right, Duncan?
1: Oh, completely. If the first book, it's either background or there's a metaphor over the top, this book just comes out of points and states things. And I think there's an actual quote where it's like, Christianity was a mistake. Like, paraphrasing slightly, but that's essentially a line in this book.
0: That is paraphrasing, but yes, it is... Um. It's very firmly anti the institution of religion. And in this character, who is a priest, he is creepy. Like, he does make Will drink. And he does give him a hug. And he does smell bad. And it reminded me, it reminded me, reading this book, that nobody discovered the child molester scandal that happened within the Catholic Church was known about for a long 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 time but people just didn't talk about it and it just came a certain point when everyone in the world just sort of acknowledged that it was happening but people just knew and this book was published a long time before the boston spotlight did their story on catholic priests around boston you know um, I'm going to just say yes.
1: I'm not actually deeply familiar um, with this kind of case sample, but I'm for the living in the world. From yes, living I in do the know. world,
0: we all know, and we all know, nothing has been done to this day. Neither of the popes who have overseen seen, you know, the Vatican since it happened, have done a single thing to root out they in the catholic church that's the end of my sentence i mean the point was made right the point of this scene is supposed to remind you it's something you're kind of just supposed to know that this creepy priest who's trying to get will drunk is a creep and he's out there and he's given power by religion to do what he likes
1: that's completely right. I think by making this particular character, because there's so much larger things going on, but just to have this little moment at the start of the book where we zoom in on just such a, a kind of like a real world example, like mm. an actual an individual man, and just go, this person isn't leading the Templar armies across the hills to conquer your land. Yeah, he's not part of the Inquisition. But this is the, like the low level wrong that is allowed to, be kind of perpetuate is that the right word Perpetuated. Um, thank you perpetuate because of the the wider institution and i think i don't know why i kind of thought there was more to it um i don't know if that was just my brain kind of thinking well there must have been a resolution to that it can't have just been
0: it's because it's just a weird scene like it's hard to remember that it even takes place at all at least from my perspective but you kind of expect there to be more to it because you normally in a book point of a character like this is to be an obstacle for the main character. Like, you don't introduce villainous characters like this because normally it's not the author trying to make a statement about something that exists outside the book.
1: And you'd agree with me there saying that this scene is very explicitly trying to make a statement about the external. The scene doesn't really serve the plot of the book. No. Like, Will doesn't reflect on this at all no. after the event.
0: There is one thing I will say, which is that... um. There is another element going on, which is the fact that Will drinks alcohol for the first time is also supposed to be a sort of like uh, part of his maturation. Like it's another symbolic attaining of manhood. I can see that element.
1: It wasn't at the forefront of my brain, but mm. yeah, that is, that is one of the things that happens as you grow up. Exposure it's to alcohol. And it's, it's,
0: it's a joke. Like It's an old joke. Like this will put some hair on your chest, you know, like it's really wrapped up in ideas of masculinity that uh being a man part of that is uh is drinking hooch
1: yeah and the the classic example of um yeah you'll start off hating
0: it but don't worry if you work hard enough you'll you'll learn to love it this is where i'm so glad that i'm very lazy because i still don't like the taste of beer i like a nice girly cocktail
1: uh good for you good for your health my partner is very much at the mind she's just like why why do we even bother trying mm-hmm. about beer or just about everything about pretty much all alcohol i see she's just like whenever it comes to alcohol is like um alcohol pops and she's like the only alcohol i seem to like if the alcohol where there's so much sugar on top of it you can't taste it anymore
0: that's for trick buddy
1: <laughs> and then she went so maybe i'll just stop paying the extra like five pounds on this drink to have the alcohol put mm-hmm. in i'm like yeah that, that seems like a a wise economic and lifestyle decision duncan now we go over what actually happens in this book in brief, because In I think brief. there's some key events a lot uh, of happens. this book covers. A lot happens, but also I think you just need to know that this book resolves the cliffhanger from the last one. Yes. When and Lyra are separated, at the start of this book we have Will go on a journey to rescue Lyra, mm-hmm. who's been kept by Mrs. Coulter alone. In a deep sleep. She's, she's she's gone rogue from the church. After that, they go on an adventure to the land of the dead. Lord Asriel launches his war against the gods. They free everyone in the land of the dead. They kill gods. And then they go and hang out in a nice little sort of village with elephant people mm-hmm. um, and fall in love. Mm-hmm. At the end.
0: Almost. the book. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, you summarize it pretty well. Like, it, it a lot takes place in this book from a beat, 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 beat basis because you jump back and forth between characters more than ever from Dr. Murphy to Mrs. Coulter to Lord Asriel to Lord Roke to the Galavespian spies to Will to Lyra to Yorick Burnison, all over the place. But it actually has, when you break it down, you're right, like, Will and Lyra don't actually have to do a lot. No,
1: they don't. It's very much a case of, I really see their story in this as just... Because three arcs, really. There's the reuniting, there's the land of the dead, mm. and then, to be quite honest, the killing god is pretty much doesn't matter and it's the recovering together and falling in love at the end
0: and can do you remember that god died in this book like that you remember? do you know i
1: it was one of those events that i was basically told post happened yeah. but i didn't really remember the scene i couldn't tell you the context i remember like reading online like oh yeah they find god and they cut into his like crystal prison and kill him and i'm like did that happen Sure, it
0: did. But fair, I couldn't tell you when it happen did happen. Basically, by accident, and because it's from Will and Lara's perspective and not an omniscient perspective, they don't that. realize they've done it. It's literally an accident. Like, they think they're helping out a poor old angel, and they accidentally destroy him.
1: He seems quite happy about it, but it no, genuinely, if you'd asked me about the plot of this book, I forgot that entire section. I genuinely thought we went directly from the land of the dead bit to the romance section. In the woods and by
0: the riverside. I was in the same boat. The whole war bit as a whole, like, just gone. Except, again, for, um, Lord Asriel and Mrs. Coulter fight Metatron. didn't remember that Metatron was, like, uh, the character. I thought he would be, like, just a different angel. Like, Gabriel or Raziel or something. Or Asriel, but... but It can't be Asriel. What am I talking about? Azazel or whatever. Or even just unnamed. Also, like... I'm a bit hazy on my angelology, but like, I don't think Metatron is the Viceroy of Heaven. I'm pretty sure that's Saint Michael, but I think he just didn't want to use Saint Michael. I don't think Metatron's even like canonical to the Christian Bible. I think he's like even from like the Kabbalah
1: okay you're way out of my depth there from a layman's perspective i know that the metatron is meant to be like the voice of god yeah exactly so i can see how the story is people just trusted that the metatron was the voice of god Mm. and then just stopped caring if it actually the words were coming from god and i could also that as a same comparable to the church it's like you trust that the church are telling you what god wants without actually engaging with god and it's that's that's a comparison I feel like was trying to be made by
0: picking the Metatron. Yeah, indeed. Thank you, John Locke. So, Duncan, why do you think we forgot so much of this book? Now, I don't want to say this is a critique,
1: but I think it might be. I think I forgot so much of this book because for a kid reading it, there are some bits that are quite hard to visualise. Yeah. And it's... it gets very
0: hectic. There is a bit where someone talks about quantum entanglement. That flew over my head. I did a presentation when I was
1: 17. Uh, at, I was in sixth form on quantum entanglement. Yeah. And I got top marks for mm. my presentation. It was in physics. He was like, that, that was really good. I'm really impressive. Good well speaking, good content. And I'll tell you now, I didn't understand it when I was like giving the speech. It was such a case of I have memorised the words <laughs> but I don't know their meaning Yeah, I managed to pull it off and no, because I genuinely don't think anyone else in the room knew the meaning either. <laughs> it was just like, yep
0: those are the words of quantum entanglement. A star. Brilliant, that's funny. Is that just a story about quantum entanglement or is that going to tie into your experience of this book? Basically,
1: the experience of reading this book is I read the passage on quantum entanglement and so many passages about um, intention machines and the guy of Vespians and the many angels and just being like, there's lots of words here and I don't really know what they mean. But if I just kind of skim my eye down, eventually I see the words Will and Lyra and yep. I can pick up the plot again.
0: I know what those words mean.
1: And that was my feeling about it. And reading it as an adult, I did have a better understanding and I could follow these elements. But as a kid, I remember being lost because I couldn't have the same visual power. Uh, the mulephas is a really key example. Yep. Like, I knew they were there, but because I could not visualize these creatures, it was no. hampering me to, like, follow the plot.
0: I I was in the same boat, because here's some big thing. So throughout my whole life, I've remembered the mulephas these elephant people who ride around on wheels my whole life i thought two things about them which were wrong one thing i remember them being more deer-like than elephants but i think that's an understandable mistake i remembered them having one wheel which they balanced on in the middle and then used their other legs to propel themselves and i remember those wheels being spherical because they were seed pods i didn't remember them having two wheels which they do all of the wheels were like wheels, like almost Yeah, discs. Here's a question:
1: How do these wheels work? Because for a wheel to work, you need an axle in the middle.
0: That's their claw. So is it a single claw? So they have a they have two. All right, so they've got four four legs, right? Guys, bear
1: with us. These are the elephant motorbike riders, and they are such a weird description. I've actually seen people try and visualise these, mm. um, and they look like something out of a Roald Dahl book. Um, <laughs> for reference to Aldi, um His Dark Materials adaptation by the BBC. Yeah. Yeah, they just shrugged their shoulders and went, fuck it, we give up. Wait, what what <laughs> they do they look, look like? Just little brown elephants. Do they have wheels? I don't even, I don't, I'm not sure. They gotta have wheels. I've only seen, like, small clips about them. I think they must have, I don't know. Anyway, go back to your description.
0: So they've got four legs. Rather than having, like, rear and hind legs, they've got specialised legs. They have, like, legs for the floor, and they've got legs for the wheels. And the legs for the wheel is, like, on your... Let's say your right... Your right hand has, like, a big, hardy claw on it. And that's going to be inserted into the hole in the seed pod... And then on your rear side, you have your left foot also has a sharp claw, whilst your right foot is more designed for being on the floor and doesn't have the big claws.
1: It's defined as sort of like diamond shaped, isn't it? So they've got one leg more out in front, one leg right in the back. That's what it's like a a bicycle. And then the two other non-clawed feet are like normal in the middle. I don't get what diamond-shaped
0: body means.
1: It means you've got four points on a diamond. Yes. Imagine it on the floor. So at the front, that's a... So each point of the diamond is a leg. So at the front, there's a leg. There's a leg at the back, a single leg, and there's two legs side by side in the centre. Oh. What?
0: (laughs) I, I swear that's what it's trying to get at. Um... I'll tell you this, they have, like, evil swans in their world. Hang, sorry. They have big swans in their world. They are just as evil as our swans. Um, <laughs> They describe the, like, the regular flying birds in that world weirdly. Like, they have they have bilateral wings or something. Like, I don't, I didn't follow that at all. It felt like, basically, the body plan on this planet which has evolved is that everything is just off-center. Like, the wings are in a row instead of on either side of a body.
1: Now, I'm not going to say that i am worked in aerospace as an engineer, but I'm pretty confident, like, you'd have to change some big laws of physics for that to work. Planes can fly on one wing, Duncan.
0: Yeah, but why would you? It would be It's so much better to do it our way. The answer to that, Duncan as it is to many things in this book, is dust. Okay. We finally figure out what dust is, Duncan, kind of. Do we? Yes. We have all the information, Duncan, and now it is up to us to come up with our interpretation.
1: Okay, so yeah, visualisation issues aside, there are some really good themes in this and there's some really good character work. Mm. And things around dust, how they interlink with the characters that we're following, I think is really well done, based Philip Portman. Agreed. So let's talk about that then. What, what's your thoughts on Dust and how it changed over the course of the books?
0: Well, Duncan, you know, I feel like um, whichever answer one of us gives first will sort of influence the other person to come afterwards. So I think that we should do something quite novel, and that is both of us should just talk about our theory of what Dust is at the same time, OK? Well, that would be incomprehensible to the listener, and I love the idea. All right. Three, two, one. So rather dust than like, like a being a manifestation of, kind of like generated human from like greed or whatever, or human sin, it kind of it's more like um, the universe. it's more about like human, it's more so about what makes life worth living. The, that's the, what it is. Kind so of church said, which is good and evil, dust or is to sin. It's just related to being human or being conscious and being a conscious being. Duncan, I don't think that works. I think you were right. I think I, I think I tried too hard to push the bounds of podcasting to places it had never been before. Why do not Why didn't you go first? The fundamental idea of dust in this book
1: is that in the first with Northern Nights, dust is an energy that they can see. It comes out of the sky and it's attracted to adults. Yes. And the church in the world believe, oh, this must, it must be linked to sin. Because we know from the Bible that when uh, a human's demon settles, that was related to the original sin dust mm. related to settled demons it must have something to do with sin and that's very much not the case we get a very direct explanation from a angel near the end of the book that says dust is a, a, sort of a general cosmic energy mm. generated by conscious beings being conscious being curious learning loving experiencing the world mm-hmm. by having our thoughts we generate dust and dust is just kind of like a background radiation lots of dust healthy environment lots of potential Mm. no dust very dead barren environment
0: da da yeah that's my take on it exactly you know like and each species that we interact with generates dust in a different way So, the muletha, for example, associates dust with their wheels. Like, they don't have demons, but their wheels and their connection to the trees is all bound up in dust. Seeds only grow because there is dust, ergo, the love and dedication of the muletha invest in the trees, and the seed pods that they drop are bound up with them. Their ability to ride on their wheels is an essential part of being a muletha. It's essentially the purpose of a Mulitha. And the thing which humans... The thing that allows humans to generate dust is love. The statement of this book is that the purpose of human beings, and indeed this is a theme that's brought up quite early in the book with the subtle knife and Yorick's idea of what its essence is, is that humans are designed to love one another. How lovely. Mm-hmm.
1: And... I think that's the thing, because they do open a, that explanation a little bit more. I do feel it's a bit more, it's not necessarily love for one another, but it's just to experience love. You know, a love of knowledge, a, a love of exploration. There are other forms of love that do that's generate That's true, that's it. true. But that is definitely the key, and it's especially the one that our main characters explore, Yeah. and it's I, their moment, is when they truly experience love
0: exactly. for they, each other. It, it, that's true, because I, I bet you, this is never stated directly in the text, but I bet that when you're bernison is like crafting metal he's probably generating dust as well because he's accomplishing his like essential purpose
1: oh absolutely and i think that's a really nice point it made about like conscious beings because it um in the very first bit that old bears don't have demons mm. it's like yeah but you're still a conscious being you're still part of this like ecosystem as it were even if you don't have a physical manifestation of that externally mm. so and, I, and also i just think it, it kind of keeps it open enough to um you know you're not saying that you have to have like a physical love and an actual kind of traditional monogamous kind of like relationships to generate love love is an open concept to be experienced in many different ways but it is through just having an engagement with the outside world
0: notice you require romance for your demon to settle like that's obviously not what the book is stating explicitly the point being that as you come to understand yourself and you mature, and you come to appreciate the the realness of other people around you. That's what allows your demon to settle. Maturity in this book is not about a lack of innocence. It is about the ability to essentially, like, understand other people. Now, I really like that
1: idea. What I find quite interesting, though, in this book is how, and throughout the whole series, Lyra constantly talks about, in her world, like, people's demons seem to settle, you know, at, like, similar ages through, like, puberty, to so the But when they said, yeah. oh, it's about being mature and understanding other people and experiencing love, I'm like, I feel like you get more people still in their, like, 19, early 20s, still being like, nope, not settled yet, still looking mm. for myself.
0: That, that That is true. And I feel like that does rub up against not a problem in this book but a quibble. And that quibble is that... you're right. Philip Pullman's definition of maturation does not line up with the timetable for hitting puberty. At around 11 to 13 years old, or later, even 15 years old for some people, that's when people tend to hit, like, puberty, and you start to go through physical changes. But mental changes tend to come a lot later, and Will and Lyra have very much gone through the mental changes long before going through the physical changes. Will and Lyra don't talk like kids in this.
1: No, that's completely uh, dropped. In fact, in the second book, Subtle Knife, I, there's a, I feel like there's a good amount of justification for, like, Will being a man like he's a small kid but oh he yes. thinks about things and he has experience in this one i'm like mate you could tell me that will in this book was sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and i don't think what he actually his decision making and yes. his characterization in the words he said would not change
0: yes like you're completely right like it reminds me of the book the knife of never letting go which is also a book about maturation and stuff and about the loss of innocence and things like that And that book takes a very deliberate step in talking about the relativism of age because when you introduce the main character, Todd, uh, he's 12 years old and it's about to be his 13th birthday and when it's his 13th birthday on his planet, that's when he'll be considered a man. And he has to go through like some special little ceremony and experience to become a man. Now, later in that book, it's revealed that planets they are doesn't have a year, but three hundred sixty-five days. Uh, and a character speaking to him says, "Hang on, how many days does this planet have?" And he says, "Like I don't have no numbers in my head." But he's like, "Like three hundred days." And so she says, "So you're not actually thirteen years old. You're like over fifteen years old." And that's this huge revelation in this book, and it makes you think about like, "Oh, why does the character like not line up?" Because in some ways. Talks like a nine-year-old sometimes because he's like had a really bad education this book doesn't go that far will and lara are definitively 12 years old and at a certain point of this book they both turn 13 years old but they are astoundingly mature and honorable and responsible I think there's people. two things there
1: number one uh, the days on this planet would have to be longer than our year to for that math to work sorry um, <laughs> uh so like f- 400 days uh, but secondly, I think there is a small argument to be made with Will and Lyra where, where you could go, oh, yeah, but their experiences, you know? Oh, they've had to grow up quick because they've gone through, you know, the war of Earth and Heaven. But no, oh, I'm not sure. It's not quite... That would be if I had to come up with a counter-argument, but I don't really believe in it. I stand with you. It is a quibble. Um, and I think it's something where yeah. it's confusing me because in books, say i'm thinking as a good example lord of the flies lord of the flies the characters all under puberty mm. in age and deliberate decision because basically yeah. for my for my gcse english class the author didn't want to deal with that mm. it's about the loss of innocence it's not about like say, growing up um and this one i'm just like mm. but this book is about them like falling in love and having that connection i'm like well have them be a bit mm. older then but like
0: you don't need... Yeah, you're completely right. Like, the stuff they feel for each other in a book, like, it's it feels much more like the sort of thing you go through when you're 15, 16, you know? When you, when you are, like, extreme, for one thing, extremely hormonal. <laughs> Again, this is a quibble. Like, I actually don't care that much about it, but there was something I was paying a lot of attention to, and that was, I was sort of doing do my best to count how long does it take for Will to find Lyra. Because if it's, like, a couple of months... You could say, well, maybe Will's more like 14 years old, actually. Maybe he turned 13 at some point during the subtle knife, and then a couple of months passed and he's almost 14 years old now. And that's when I sort of realize how fucking wonky time is in this book. So
1: this is almost directly addressed in the subtle knife when we have Lord Asriel they're like, how could he possibly have gathered such a large army and, like, built his Republic of Heaven in, mm. despite the fact that he only left his own world a few months ago? So, I feel like a timey-wimey Doctor Who-ness.
0: No. No? No. No. I resolutely refuse that. I don't think that's in line with any of the model of this world. There is no circumstance ever that we find any kind of time dilation effect going between worlds. It's very clear to me that the worlds are supposed to sit on top of each other like 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 thin layers of film and then you just peel them back and go between. Lord you're creating a boundary like set people, the worlds off their axis so they don't line up anymore but they absolutely line up temporally. Well, well I'll say there is no evidence in this text to support my theory. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Now, there is something in this book which does give us a timeline, but its timeline does not make sense. And that is that the the two Galavespians, Lady Salmachia and Chevalier Tialis, they say they have about a year left to live. Like, when they are introduced, they only live for about eight years. They're both about seven, so, like, they have less than a year left. And at the end of this book, they die of old age. So that means about a year passes in the course of this book. But here's the thing. I know how long this book lasts. This book lasts as long as two, back per- his two backpacks full of food last. But Will goes to a camp and steals a bunch of food. Before he runs out of food, finds Lyra. They wait a day and go to another world. They both take two backpacks full of food. Oh, that is good. So, the
1: only thing I can think of, yeah, does Will restock his backpack while he's looking for Lyra? Yes. So the one
0: point, the one point where we lose track of Will and we don't know how much time takes place is when he's with the bears. That's the only period of time we can't keep track of. The only figure we have is that he starts in Russia or. Moscow or whatever. He has to make it to the Himalayas. And someone says that's two thousand kilometers. So it's as much time as a boat takes to go two thousand kilometers, is how long? So maybe that's like let's highball it. Who weeks? So we got two weeks and two backpacks worth of food. I mean Even if you highball
1: it in further and say that the rivers to get there are really rough. I could see it going up... Or going, like, the opposite direction. Well, yeah, like, even at worst case, I'd think you would go to maybe two months. Yeah, you're right. But does Will still have his original backpack worth of food when he meets the bears?
0: Are you saying it's a bigger backpack and therefore can store several months of food? No, I'm saying, could
1: he restock food... Honest
0: journey I mean, to meet the mean, That's not important, Duncan, because he doesn't because he doesn't restock food. Because he restocks food after like a couple of days. They, they escape, he gets liar, they go to another world, they spend a night there, they go back, they spend another night repairing the social knife, they go into another world, the rest of the night there, and then they steal another backpack of food and go into the world of the dead. That's four days. No,
1: wait, 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 wait. No. Because Will meets up with the bears in Russia. Yes. Right? Yes. Will was in Sitigaze, which we
0: know lines up with Oxford. No, 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 no. He... wait, hang on. He has to walk. Are you... no, 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 Duncan, he walks for, like, three days. Okay, are you telling me, Duncan, that that he walked from Oxford
1: to Russia? I'm telling you, Philip Pullman is telling you that he walked, because you said themselves geographically they line up a meter is a meter and we know that no no from the thir- from the second book but he has a backpack worth of food i know it's wrong but that's what philip pullman is telling you he refills that backpack while he walks from oxford to russia that's what happens
0: there's only one there's only one explanation and chita is just very close to russia but it's not or Russia is not where it is in his world. Like, maybe it's like he starts in Greece and he goes to, like, Estonia. Well, not Estonia, that's wrong. Uh, what am I? Albania. Maybe it's like that. I,
1: I still feel like
0: that's wrong because we
1: know that Tsitsugase is not in Greece. Cause when you cut through the portal into
0: Tsitsugase, you it's end in up in Oxford. No, Duncan, I told you the worlds are off their axis. Oh,
1: since, okay, fine. They're not aligned properly. Okay, so he
0: goes, he starts in Italy, and he walks to some place which in that world is Russian. doesn't go to Moscow, he's in Moscovy. Wait, no, but that's Lyra's world. Wait, hang on. He jumps world about three times
1: before he meets up with the bears because he's running
0: from the okay. Metatron. Now, here's the thing. We don't know. No, wait, no. Because we don't know how Lyra's world stacks up with Chitagaze.
1: No, we don't. Because Lyra walks out of the Northern Lights okay, and appears so in Chitagaze. Okay, so walks
0: three days, he goes through the portal, and he ends up in Russia. Because that's how her world laps over with his. I mean, with Chitagaze's world. Now, isn't it convenient that,
1: um... because you said the timeline always matches up. So it must be really good that all these worlds are, like, orbiting their suns at the exact same rate and speed. Otherwise, you'd <laughs> yeah, only be able to true, cut through so at, like, certain because, times a year.
0: Because the height matters, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, like, if you're in a building, you open up, and you go to the next world, and there's no building there, uh, you, you're you you're 100 feet above the ground. And it's not in just buildings, mountains. There are some places where
1: he cuts through... And he's he's miles above the ground because there aren't mountains in that other
0: world. Or at least because the worlds don't line up as they should.
1: Yeah, but like if that's happening to that degree, why isn't it happening where like the whole planet is just slightly off? And you cut open and you're just in a void of space and you just see
0: their Earth. There's another book series which is about alternate worlds. Uh, and it's The Long Earth by Terry Pratchett and Stephen Baxter, which are really good books. Which we can't do for this podcast because they are definitively sci fi books and there's nothing science or fantasy about them at all. But something that's really interesting in that is that in those books, every single world is basically exactly the same. It's like this world is like, you know, it's string theory. Each decision goes out a billion times and eventually you go down far enough down the chain of the world that things are unrecognizable. So in every single other world, humans don't exist. They're empty worlds. They have animals, and sometimes those animals are a little different because evolution went a different way. There's one world they jump into, and it's a vacuum. And, like, the ship they're in has to jump back immediately uh, or suffer being destroyed. And what turns out what happened there is that they speculate that at some point in this billionth iteration of Earth, destroyed the planet and either destroyed the Earth so much that there's just a big hole where the Earth used to be or it like changed its orbit but the portal they're going through still goes to the same equivalent space in space in the new dimension and therefore you just appear in a vacuum instead of on Earth.
1: Now I like the idea that there's like a universal reference point for like the universe as well you define, mm. like, space and you're like, saying sound like Cartesian coordinates. Like, there is an edge you can measure from, and thus you're always in the same position. Because position is very relative in an expanding universe. In fact, it can only really be, as
0: far as I'm aware, relative. That's true. That's true. Because when you think about it, each of those worlds, if each of them is, like, just a little bit different, and it comes down to just charts and variables, then there should be an infinite number of worlds where the Earth is just in a different place. Yeah, and like, I know we talk about... Because the sun is just moving in a different, slightly different direction or a slightly different angle.
1: Absolutely. It wouldn't have to be unreasonable for it, and it wouldn't take a lot in terms of planetary movement, let's say, for you to None be kilometres, millions of miles from anywhere inhabitable. Mm-hmm. You end up in deep space very quickly. In fact, to actually end up right. on the surface of Earth and not even under the mantle is amazingly good fortune. And thus it works for the plot and we don't question it, because that's what makes the plot
0: work. Duncan, you used the word convenience. I mean, I feel like this book is really stretching the credulity of what conveniences it allows.
1: All right, then. Is, is this in beyond um,
0: beyond the convenience of of like characters meeting each other in specific specific times and places oh
1: yeah no will and the bears we've already mentioned i'm just like
0: good good for you will yeah very lucky very lucky that's not too big of a deal for me but like destiny and magic can only take you so far so many scenes are lessened by how many glaring various coincidences are like How did Pan end up in Lord Azrael's world of all worlds? Like why were they just jumping between worlds and how did they finally just end up in Lord Azrael's world? How did Will pick Dr. Malone's world to save to in order to save the ghost? Like he picked a world completely at random and it was one that a friend happened to be in. How did no name know where to cut open into another world? How did she know that? Well, what is the point of Mrs. Coulter's action scene if Lyra was never actually in any danger whatsoever because Will's father was just going to say how to solve a problem? Why on earth did Mrs. Coulter think she could return to the church? She's not stupid.
1: There's a lot in this book. I guess
0: some of those weren't coincidences.
1: There's a lot of this book. Will's father's a key one where i How do you know this? What what's powers do you have? Um, do you want me to try and defend this and throw something out there? I'm a wizard. Yes, go ahead. Maybe. This is Philip Pullman's very subtle way of suggesting that beyond the authority, there is an original creator and they do have a divine plan.
0: So Duncan, in the previous book, I said that the witches said that Lyra is supposed to put an end to destiny. But I actually think I misheard her. I think I I was listening to the audiobook at the time, and it's possible that she said she was gonna put an end to death. That would make more sense. Which means that destiny isn't actually canon to the book like I thought it was. So this might all just be coincidence.
1: I think it's what you want it to believe, you know? What is destiny but some very good coincidences in your favour?
0: That's not very helpful, Duncan.
1: It's open for interpretation, mate. It's the beauty of the book. Talking about being Uh open for interpretation. Death. Yes. The land of the dead. Mm. In, when our main characters go to the land of the dead to meet their lost friends we get a lost friends, dead friends um, we get a moment where this is like the universal underworld, almost I was about to say like Greek but no that's a bit more complex. this is like when you die regardless of anything you go to the same place and it's like an empty barren plain and Lyra and Will they rescue their friends by cutting a hole using the subtle knife back through into another universe where then your dead spirit can go through and then dissipate off into the cosmos.
0: Mm.
1: what do you think? Like I've I actually find this quite challenging because I know they're not in a nice place, but also it's like the ultimate relief, the end to death is like you just lose at least when you're in that world, you have your original consciousness, but then mm. the ultimate reward is nothing. Oblivion.
0: Yeah, it is complicated. And I think the point of the book is that Philip Pullman doesn't believe in an afterlife. He's an atheist. And the point he's making is that we should all ultimately make peace with there not being an afterlife. We should value the lives we live, create the Republic of Heaven in our worlds, and that we shouldn't strive for reward after death. I think that's what he's he's getting at. And I think the reason why the world is, like, so miserable and stuff more has to do with how crowded it is. Like, it's dead from every world, and there are an infinite number of worlds, which means there's an infinite number of dead, but I think the world is probably finite, right? Well, that was
1: what always got me, because this, the world of the dead, is still sort of included to be one of the worlds, Like, they cut through into the world of the dead. Although, when they cut through, they cut through and it looks exactly the same as the world
0: they were presently in. Oh, yeah. And then they move. That world has to be, like, the most metaphysically out there. He probably is pushing to, like, the outermost limits of what is similar to their world. It's only a world in that it has to be accessed the same way by the subtle knife. It definitely isn't a planet.
1: Yes. Yes definitely they even talk about like moving through the mist and everything the details of the Mm. town are lost as the people who remember it get further away so there's that also you've got this concept of like time time can't line up here Geordie. i'm gonna keep going back to this because there's one ferryman
0: so unless it is there one ferryman
1: he says and i'll be the one to take you when you finally die like that doesn't mean he's the only one. He just means he, what? He's Will and as one.
0: He's just saying, I'll see you again.
1: I to me I interpret that that this is the this is the ferryman and he is ferrying everyone on his boat. And his boat did not seem great that big.
0: I'm not convinced, but go ahead.
1: Well, then this would make me think, wait, people infinite universes, that means infinite dead
0: continuously. I gotta say there is one thing I'm gonna bring up here, but yeah, go ahead. Well, an infinite number of arrivals arriving all the time. Yes. Yeah.
1: So there should be an infinite number of ferrymen. Like, since you introduce the idea of infinite universes, there is then even if maybe there is an infinite number of ferrymen.
0: Maybe he exists in all places at once. So then maybe
1: each person then what they're like entering their own like personal space in this world, where I think it's magic. Fine, it's magic. I'll accept it's magic. Um what did i like about this i did like the fact that the people in this world it's, have a the death scene is very emotional that's very nice it's a really lovely scene the separation of them from their demons and leaving part of them behind geordie yeah. what do you think this means for demons why can't demons go to the land of the dead what is it that they're leaving behind
0: that's a good question man because obviously it's like demons are their soul but uh, what are they then if they're not their soul
1: yeah, it's like the 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 consciousness is separate from their soul, and I quite often associate. Because
0: Lyra doesn't change much when she separates from Pan, she doesn't act that differently. It's from the fact she's sad, but she's sad because she's losing Pan.
1: Yeah, and it's quite. Um, I found also in this bit, I didn't particularly like the fact that Will. All the way throughout the first, the sorry, the second book, it's like, mm. oh, your demon's inside you. I went, like, yeah, my soul's inside me. And they're like, oh no, your demon's separate. You just can't see him or her. And
0: it's like, well, that's not what you were saying. You're right. That is a bit of a change. Uh, I would say that actually, an issue I have with this book. Here's the thing I feel like we're being a bit negative on this book because, one thing, it amused us. A lot of these criticisms we're levelling aren't real criticisms. Like, we don't care how far Chitagatse is from Russia. Like, no. that's just a bit of fun Duncan and I are having. That's not a legit complaint.
1: I think that's very well spoken. So I want to make it clear. Like, there's a really good story here. What we're just doing yes. is nitpicking the world building because that's fun and easy because to critique.
0: Because it is wonky. Yeah. Because it is wonky and it is legitimate r- r- critique that it is a bit wonky. And something else that's a bit wonky is that there are some inconsistencies in between this book and the others. Lay it all down. I don't think it is inappropriate for us to have the interpretation that Lord Asriel's goal from the start was a war in heaven, an outright combat with God. That really felt like what we've been told. And I have to think that the actual reality of what he's doing is like a retcon. That he's not going to war with God He's just partaking in an action which makes war with God inevitable. I think that's, I don't think that was Philip Pullman's original plan.
1: I fully agree. I don't think it lines up with his characterization in the first book at all. First book, he is ruthless. You know, he is killing children for the greater good. And also in the second book, it talks, all it talks about is the amount of gunpowder, the size of the fortress, like he's gathering Mm -hmm. an army.
0: Yeah. But no, it's actually the Republic of Heaven. It's a place free of religious control.
1: It almost feels like he, he got to the point where, actually, how do I even bring God to battle? I'll sod it, let's just...
0: It kind of makes you think that, like, he was sort of, like, de-radicalised at a certain point. Like, he was talking to all these people from other worlds, and he was like, oh, man, I have to get them to agree to a more common clause. Okay, I guess we can, like, not be as hardcore about killing God. Maybe we don't actually want to kill God.
1: Uh, what I found about I don't know, it's very really hard. You at the very start talked about how you felt like these two books form part of a duology. I yep. really get the feeling that each book in the His Materials trilogy is just has such a unique, different flavour. You know, you're right, there feels That's like there are true. retcons in this. There feels the, the pacing is different. The the visualization is so different. It's and this is like one of probably my only like genuinely like great critiques is I don't feel like Here's Dark Materials as a trilogy functions um, as a consistent reading experience. The themes are consistent. No. The characterization is great. But like the reading experience, especially reading them back to back, as I've done now, I don't think I did that as a kid. I think I read them over a year. Um Mm. It feel so disjointed. I couldn't recommend, necessarily, The Amber Spyglass to all the same people I would recommend The Northern Knights to, and the same Absolute for the subtle
0: Like They're different reading levels.
1: As we learned, we struggled with this one, both as kids. Yeah. I don't want to be sad about it. It is great. What's really great?
0: Let's sit on some positives. The themes,
1: the ideas. Let's get into that. Philip Horman does some...
0: And some of the big emotional beats. Like, this book can tug at your heartstrings. Lee Scorsby dies twice i know god he got me again he got me again
1: loved it wonderful lee scoresby who to be in the first book is like a fun character but he's just one of the fun characters to have that emotional ending in the first one and to have it again here i his genuine sadness of like i just want to be with my demon like i mm. i don't care that i lose my consciousness. just the idea now that somehow my atoms will mix with her atoms in the cosmos mm-hmm. it's lovely
0: and then when he like lets go and he becomes one with the universe and like he says and he drifted up into the sky where the atoms and made up hester were waiting for him i was like no not again you can't do this to me again um Okay, only other thing though is they cut
1: through the world of the dead in like only into one world. So it's like, but mm. are your atoms waiting together? Because actually, it's just this universe is going to be filled with the dead atoms
0: or the other. Now, now, there are portals, we know that. But they're being Tons closed. Of portals, we know that. Were closed later, so Hester figured out where he was going to be and her atoms decided to whiz their way over there to wait for him.
1: So demons keep their consciousness, if not their form,
0: after their people die. Uh, dust. Dust. Dust magic. Maybe she excellent. became dust. I mean she doesn't become dust because dust isn't atoms, it's different type of subatomic particle. But she be, she be-
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's a lovely emotional scene. Um the other great one is the reuniting with Roger, yeah. who is so chill about everything.
0: He really is. It's like, Hey, it's alright. It's all right that you got me killed. It's okay, it won't your fault
1: i would not be this i would be see but then again who knows maybe after a bit of time in the land of the dead you just go doesn't matter
0: we'll come here eventually he blames himself which is what i do if i had time to stew on stuff i would just end up blaming myself for everything you know yeah say that says a lot what i like about the reunion with roger yep is that he really succeeds in demonstrating how lyra has grown up like there is just a difference in between them now and it's so obvious
1: uh you know? bit, sort of i feel like there was always a bit of a difference in the sense that she was like he was the one being rescued and she was out mm. on an adventure but i think lyra recognizes the difference and particularly between lyra like...
0: is the only person who doesn't hmm? you think she's the only one that doesn't i think Lyra's is the only person who doesn't realize it
1: okay go on
0: so, I think there is something about the way in which, you know, like, um, Roger just feels quite detached. And he reminds me so much more of the first book in that he is so wide-eyed and innocent. And, oh, geez, mister. You know, like, when he falls off of the cliff, like, everyone else is, like, has this really profound emotional reaction. Where Lyra, like, like embraces no name and despite her disgust. Like, even gives her some kisses and, like hugs will and like he's shaking and when rog almost falls off he's like i'm okay i'm okay like he exists in a completely different tone of of the novel from lyra and it draws this big wedge between them where she is sort of aware of of danger and the realness of everything and he's just still a bit wrapped up in his whole in his youth and his juvenility
1: i think we do see that in the first book though when they're at um Oh, I'm going to get the name wrong. V- no. What's the name of the facility? Svalbard? Sval- 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 Bolvanger? Bolvanger. Thank you. Bolvanger. Bolvanger. Thank you. Because um, he's very much there. He's like, don't worry. My chum Lyra will come and save us. Whereas Lyra's a bit more, like, active in the, the adventure there. But no, I do see it. I also yeah. think, though, it really draws a comparison between Roger and Will. Will comes in when yes. Roger dies and will mm. despite them being similar ages roger's not meant to be young significantly younger than Lyra, is, is he at the start no
0: she, she, he's probably like 11 12 and will at this point is 13 years old
1: because this is when you're there and you're like between roger and will and you're like yeah will is basically a full-fledged adult yep. hunky man here despite only being 12 13 roger is the full-on child yeah. there's a bit
0: later where dr malone meets will for the first time and she like ref- she's instinctively she goes to hug him but then she goes no this boy is almost a man i must treat him with respect and he is 13 years old he is 13 years old he is in year eight i
1: know i i don't know what to say that's the only issue and i and that i just had to ignore it's
0: true that is again yeah, i just quibble, had to ignore quibble.
1: yeah and i to be honest, it almost was a bit better dressed um, when i watched the live action bbc mm. version because the actor is older to just go, yeah, you actually look like a young man. That's
0: actually a good point about so it's something they do in this book, which is that I've read the, the audio books for both The Subtle Knife and The Amber Spyglass because that's how I had time to do it. And they changed the actors. Like, they got an older sounding actor. And uh, on one hand, feel bad for the guy in the second book because he was a good actor. But um, yeah, it, it was a good choice. Like, he feels older straight away even though it's the same day as like the previous book is like 10 minutes later like five seconds after the previous book ended yeah it's appropriate to change the actor like that
1: yeah i think that that's cool i actually read this one i didn't do audiobook um i think that helped me a lot mm. being able to reread passages so no i think that's a really great scene the other emotional climax obviously is the Will and ira romance um again institute where I just had to forget that I was rooting for a twelve and thirteen year old to make out that's not again just was out of my head, but I never seen this as this kid and i actually this was one of the first romances I read in literature oh yeah for sure well i was very involved i i wanted to see them be together I wanted to see their happiness and I felt very much there in the fact that they were young and exploring and kind of come to these realizations mm. um Together. See,
0: this is where I was just a little too young. Cause whilst I accepted that it was happening and I wasn't like grossed out or anything, it didn't have as much of an impact on me as it should have. I wasn't there. I didn't it wasn't even year six yet. Like I didn't have enough context or hadn't grown up enough to be interested. I only got this feeling, this exact feeling you're describing in the last Percy Jackson book. That was when I finally got it, and I should have had that experience with this book.
1: I think so. I read this in year nine, mm-hmm. so 13, yeah, uh, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. So, same age as when book, and yeah, I had it. Was I don't know, I think it was just the moments of the fact that the book was taking time for them to go off on their mm-hmm. own, and it wasn't out put it? in a lot of literature. It was very, I felt things were incredibly set up early, like I knew that the prince and the princess. Mm. And you, I knew it because that was the story being mm-hmm. told and that's what happened. They didn't actually have to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, Lord of the Rings. Aragorn gets with Arwen. Good for him. Don't care. Yeah. Don't it doesn't know. matter.
0: Arwen isn't a real character.
1: Yeah. But these were two very real, real characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I really enjoyed the... What's it? I think it's, I like this scene because I like the fact that they don't necessarily go into it having a lot of like we're not in their internal monologues Mm -hmm. thinking like oh will how do i express to him oh lyra what shall i do how do i tell her how i feel they just go off into the woods have a nice quiet moment together Mm -hmm. and then we just actually get described their actions we get described Lyra like office will a piece of fruit yeah they're
0: not there's no internal monologue about it you know how they feel like you have like the physical sensation of the relief the oh good yes i'm so glad i'm so happy you have all that but there's no it's not like reading a court of thorns and roses where characters are constantly thinking to themselves and second guessing themselves and shit like that it is actually captures the feeling of being in that moment before your first kiss so well done so well
1: done it was so nice to have that sensation reading this book uh, that way i had anything what it might be like and didn't you know not actually wait, wait several more years <laughs> in real life so, Jordy, you said it wasn't quite there as a child. Did you, reading it then, you read it again a bit later, did you? Was it like, were you 14 when you reread this series? I don't think I ever reread The Am Spyglass, actually. Wow. Fair enough, to be honest. I've actually reread The Subtle Knife one more time than all the others. Mm. I just read it in the middle. I just went, yep, I like that one most. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and reading it as then as an adult, were you also, everything that's just described, right?
0: Is this a good scene? Oh, yeah, it's a great scene. It's wonderful. Uh, all the scenes of them together at the end um they they i feel like philip pullman just really was in his element there like he does such a good job of i think he just knew the characters so well at that point will and lyra he was so in sync with them he knew how to express their feelings yeah just nailed it
1: and that kind of then leads us on to then the actual ending of the book Uh, They get separated through the cosmic powers. I was really impressed
0: by how well Philip Foreman emphasised that they had basically no choice. Like, I kept thinking as I was reading this book, knowing that they were going to be separated, I kept thinking, I bet I can come over a loophole. I bet I can find a way that they could actually be together if they really, really wanted to. And to be honest... Oh, you did a good job. He did a good job of, of just shutting down, saying, no, 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 you can't do this. Because I kept thinking, okay, so, dust is lost between these portals. Like, the edge, and I love this a lot, the edge of the portals created by the Sutter Knife are just like the abyss. The abyss which they had to pass by in the world of the dead, which absorbs dust. It's essentially your evil. And so I was like, okay, well, then no big deal. You just open it up, you pop through, and you close it. Hey-ho, very little dust lost. You just make sure you have a fun time that afternoon, and that'll replenish the dust you lost. But just nail us with, when you open a portal, you create a specter. And that yes, that is just such a gut punch. I knew it. I forgot it. But when I heard it again, I was like, Oh, God. That's hard. Yes.
1: Brilliantly done. These are the creatures in the second book, which hound adults and basically eat their... I assume they're demons, yeah, they're the equivalent demons. of their demons. And not make a huge appearance in this book. I actually thought we'd be seeing them a bit more. They may they show they're up in the up final battle.
0: point, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, and to say that, and then you think, oh, God, Will, you've been using this so much. Exactly. Every time. How many... D- specters and i don't think they really make clear how they like the witches don't really say that they can particularly kill the specters it's like yeah we're just going to crowd them into that one shit world and uh, i know like to be them.
0: i don't think you can kill a specter except with the subtle knife you can probably throw them into the abyss but boy that's going to be a bitch triple do you're gonna need a lot of very charitable ghosts
1: <laughs> yeah it's gonna be hard and i did I did feel like... I like the fact that Will and I were trying to like, come up with ideas. Also, I Philip the formless, like, kept using them as the audience. Mm. But what if we did this? Nope. How about this? Nope. Exactly. You don't seem to understand. It's like the scene at the end of Titanic. Uh, Jack dies, and if the door needs to be smaller to make it sense, mm. then it will just keep getting smaller.
0: Because <laughs> that's the plot, damn it. That's good. I like that. Uh, speaking of the end of the book, that's actually quite a minor point, but I just really like this. I really like how... Focused on like female characters, this this book gets at the end. Like everyone who comes to Will and Lyra at the end of this book, um is an important woman from the rest of the series. And it really stood out to me that whilst the book is the book series so far has been kind of full of very important men, um people who are kind of left at the end are all the important women. Like even John Farr and um and uh and Father Corum, they come back, and it's really nice to see them. They're much more understated at the end of a book than Dr. Malone and Seraphina pekula and the new voice of not gods, Zed something, Lady Zed. Zan- zanfani. You got it. zanfania I'm not gonna correct you, I'm sure that's all true. But yeah like i was like oh that's just nice isn't it that like all these characters it sort of represents how the series has changed and now we have these familiar warm characters who are now the ones advising lyra and will
1: yes no, i i feel agree i think it's been a nice transition um over the series because particularly in the first book i felt there was a lot more you know john far um europe lee score speak great characters mm-hmm. but the master jordan college you know Really, Mrs. Coulter, because I'm not going to say I think Pe- is a very tiny it's character really in that first minor. book. Is the only real adult woman who I think has a, a major role. Yeah. And, she's um, a and she's the villain. Yeah. So, Big I think change. that's a really nice element. Um, I like the fact that. One sec, actually, no, pause. I need to think of my next bit through.
0: Whilst Duncan's thinking, I'm going to say that I just love the Doctor Malone chapters, like. I knew, even though I barely remembered, like, the actual details of what happened, they stood out to my mind, and I just knew. I just knew that I didn't reach him enough as a kid, but I was going to love them this time around. And I was right. I just loved how unexpectedly cozy and nice they were. Like, spending time with those sweet, sweet Mulefa, it's wonderful. Like, they're they're so kind. They're so kind to Dr. Malone.
1: That's it. Thank you. You've reminded me of my point. And it's good we bring this up now, because, you know, we want to talk about it before the end of Book Club. So, Geordie, um, the Amber Spyglass. Yes. The Amber Spyglass. Yes. Titular Amber Spyglass. It's a thing. It is. But it's a very small thing. It's not that important.
0: Interesting you got the whole book named after it, Yeah, to be honest. It really needed... Um... He really just really wanted to stick to the theme. I'm guessing at this point, the American publishers had called the first book the Golden Compass, and he was like, actually, that's a pretty good title. And then he was like, it needs to be based off a thing. Obsessingly large increase in audio quality in three, two, one. So, Duncan, what else would you call it then if not the Amber Spyglass? Because it has to be about a noun.
1: Does it, though? I guess it is the Northern Lights. It's the UK title. Yes. So I'm trying to think. Okay, so let's say we're not doing an object. Um, it can't be about a, a, an event. That wouldn't work.
0: It, no, it has to be a thing. Like, even the Northern Lights is a thing, even if it isn't something tangible you can hold in your hand, like the Golden Compass or the subtle Knife or the Amber Spyglass. Do
1: you know The only other thing I think I would call it then would just be like maybe, I don't know, calling it the Dust. Or just dust, no. or something like that, would be the no. only other approach. No,
0: no. I mean, that's ridiculous. You can't call it the dust or dust because one, it has to start with the. That's very obvious. Even the American and British versions all start with the.
1: You know what? That's the thing because I'm actually struggling. I think this must be what Philip Horman was feeling. He was like, I can't think of anything. I know.
0: Else. There's not enough gizmos.
1: I, I actually maybe it like... was supposed
0: to originally. Maybe originally she was supposed to make a mirror. And actually, you know what? It was my strong suspicion upon reading this book through again that when she got to the bit where she actually makes the amber spyglass, I was thinking, like, this feels quite manufactured. The fact that you can only see dust through two lenses that are held a certain distance apart. That does feel a bit manufactured, especially considering she was initially trying to make a mirror.
1: It feels so kind of awkward, doesn't it? Because the situation, she's like, I know, I'll cut out a smaller piece... And then, like, why why are you doing this? And mm. I don't think she even names it the Amber Spyglass. I feel like, also, I feel like the name Amber. To be brutally honest, I know it's made from like the um, the sap, but yeah, even that, it's... I'm like, I feel like he was like, I can't just can't just be the mirror. It can't be the dust mirror. It has to be something like a very cool name. And then he settled on the idea of oh, I'll make it out of the sap. Oh, well, then it can be Amber. And, and also, is it even really a spyglass? Because they're the same size, aren't
0: It doesn't they, the zoom.
1: T- yeah. I don't think it's a spyglass. I think he literally
0: just was like... It's an eyeglass. Yeah. It's, it's a monocle. <laughs> we have fun here, don't we? The Amber Monocle. That's what I would call this book. That's the only thing about this book I would change. I would keep all the other, stu- all the other petty stuff we complained about the same, and I would just change that.
1: Do you know what she should have done, though, uh, Dr. Malone? She should have then just mass-produced them. Like at the end of this book, I want all the characters to walk away with their amber monocles so that they can, you know, like keep track of dust and how it's yeah. going in their worlds.
0: If we're talking about quibbly things, I want to point out that there's a huge bit in this book where she has to climb to the top of the tree in order to see the streams of dust from the sky. And then later on, she just sees it from the ground because Philip Pullman couldn't be bothered to have her climb a tree again. He thought I wouldn't notice, but I did, Philip. I'm sorry, but I did
1: i do you there's a bit in this where dr malone climbs that tree to look at the dust and there's a detailed description her like feeling like she's like left her body and it's like floating away into the cosmos yeah what was that
0: that what was that indeed like i know it explained later that she started to learn some witchy stuff which would potentially in the future allow will's spirits to cross between worlds and see lyra again but how did that happen
1: it's not given any it's just and it's a really nice scene i like the idea that she's sort of losing herself staring up at the stars and the dust and the Mm. cosmos because that's a lovely idea oh i you know they lost themselves amongst the stars they were so caught up in their stargazing but it's very literal in the book and i just feel like it's just not actually explained given the magical rules that we're sort of set given that those rules aren't really magic
0: it's a lot Uh, this is what i'm talking about but so many characters have weird foreknowledge like you complained about Will's dad knowing that Lyra is going to be attacked. I didn't have a problem with that. Like, he was a wizard. That's fine. But there's a bit in this book when an old woman walks through um, into Dr. Malone's world from the world of the dead. She goes up to Dr. Malone and says, tell them stories. And then fades into nothingness. And that's the linchpin to Lyra, you know, making her big choice. But who was the old woman? And how did she know? And how did she appear in Dr. Malone's dream ahead of time? That didn't need to happen. Like, Dr. Malone could have just told that story for other reasons.
1: Because it's a nice story to tell. Or she was looking at Lyra and Will and went, you're about to reach a point that I felt in my life. Here, let Mm -hmm. me share. Let's get to know each other. Because we haven't actually got to know each other that well.
0: They could have just asked a question. Hey, you used to be a nun when did that stop speaking of nuns
1: speaking of nuns
0: so dr malone's story is all about her losing her faith because she realized that the world was full of valuable important experiences that didn't have anything to do with religion or devotion to god it's quite a good and powerful story and it sits within a framework of other anti-theistic messages we said so earlier. This is the most anti-religion book in the trilogy. It just gets way out there. Let's talk about it.
1: Okay, so there's kind of a point to this because there's an element of... Um, obviously, Philip Pullman is being, I'm going to say, anti-religion, particularly the Christian faith. Um, mm. But I think there's two elements that I think are really being targeted here. Obviously, there's the authoritarian aspect of it. And it's mm-hmm. control in society. And I also think there's... The, the other really strong aspect is the... um, It's this, this bit when they go to the land of the dead. And there's a guy there who's like... I dedicated my whole life... Like to not experiencing any joy... In mm. honour of the faith. So that I'd have my reward mm. in heaven. And he's like... It didn't matter. This is all I get. And I think that's the second mm. part. It's like... You can have your faith. But... Go out and do something... Be um, sort of a Methodist, like, actually be a change in society. Like, there's no value in sitting behind walls just contemplating things.
0: Yeah. There are two tacks you can take in reasons why not to believe, and Philip Pullman does both of them here. The first one is there is no God, so you don't have to do what he tells you to do. And the other one is it doesn't matter if there's a God, you should find your own reasons for doing things. And those are both explored really thoroughly in this book. Without, I think we should try and judge this book neutrally and talk mainly about the way in which it uh, impacts this message. Because, you know, I first read this book at the exact period of time when I was starting to question my faith. And I know that this book did have had no influence over that. Like, I didn't understand any of this enough for it to have an impact on me. But it was definitely in my headspace at the time, because I started to ask questions and realised that I was getting really cheap answers. But I'm going to try and put that aside in analysing this book's messaging on faith, to say, is it fair? Is it reasonable? Is it heavy-handed? What do you think, Duncan?
1: OK, so when I first read this book, uh, my kind of opinion on faith was definitely far in the rear view mirror. Um, mm. But I felt that this book, it definitely this is the most heavy handed out of the trilogy. Um, yeah. I think that it is very fair in how it breaks down the faith that's presented in the book. Um, mm-hmm. Because it is a nuanced awesome issue, but I think the the points that it's attacking are very fair to be attacked and criticised yeah yeah
0: Tiddly. such as
1: the, well the main one the authoritarianism you know the mm-hmm. dictatorship and also that second one, which is you need to find your own reasons to do good and i think that's mm-hmm. an, an excellent and that's one of the ones that i was just like yes let's dig into that and let's just analyze because it's not saying that doing the actions are wrong or that everyone who has the faith is doing wrong although this book is definitely presented like that although mm-hmm. you do have to think like in like lyra's oxford if you ask the master what his faith is he would probably tell you oh yeah i believe in the church and everything and he probably means that but he still has his own kind of limits and what he's doing
0: Mm. well the interesting thing is that after god is dead and after metatron has been dragged into the abyss um you know when that's all said and done the conclusion for the book and lyra's world is like when lyra gets back it's sort of revealed that there's basically been like this huge upheaval in the church And um, all these authoritarian laws got put into place, but suddenly they've all been overturned. And more, and this is a quote, more liberal forces have moved in to, uh, you know, to take over the reins. And, you know, that kind of makes me think of, like, the current situation we find ourselves in now with the Catholic Church, where we have the cool pope, you know? You know, like, we have more liberal forces who says that people can use contraception under certain circumstances stuff like that it makes me think of the 1950s and vatican II. duncan do you know what vatican II is
1: not a clue
0: okay so vatican II. i can't give you the precise year but basically around the 1950s uh the vatican did a major major overhaul in certain rules certain policies it had and the way in which Catholicism would be practiced. It was a really, really big deal. Some changes made were the fact that priests would no longer face away from, um, from the assembly. They would now face the masses and speak to them. Uh, they would speak in their native tongue and not in Latin. They would uh, no longer, and this is the big one, and the one that, for some reason, this is the one everyone has the most problem with, uh, they would no longer hold all Jews responsible for the killing of Christ. Okay. So Which previously they had done for 2,000 it's years.
1: Really, uh, from an out- very much an outsider's perspective, um, even when I was younger, I was Church of England. I um, mm. was very early. I was Catholic. It's quite challenging because you look and you go, well, on the one hand, it's like, well, yes, obviously you need to change those views. i feel like a reason person would go yes that is rather awful of you but also at the hmm. same time your linchpin of your authority is that you know the right answers
0: yeah so you keep Commit having to make to changes well Commit. <laughs> if you believe then believe
1: well it's like the whole point is that is as i said it is to offer this sort of moral guidance but if your moral guidance keeps changing that's like you're admitting to yourself yeah we actually don't know what we're doing we change yeah. with the times but that- You shouldn't be changing with the times. You should be leading the change.
0: You are... It's the joke in the Book of Mormon. I believe that in 1978, God changed his mind about black people. Oh, dear God. Also, Vatican II is 1965.
1: That's great to know. And it's... Then I think that also is really good in in this book because then we really see God dies in this book. And the representative of God dies in this book. And the church... Does not. Because it's more than just a voice of God. It is it is a system of government. Mm-hmm. And that that works independently of deity. Um, as we see in Lyra's work.
0: You gotta wonder what Lyra's world's gonna look like.
1: What? Post this.
0: To be yeah, honest. I mean like her world is so wrapped up in religion that they don't even have a word for physicist. Experimental theologians. They're, when they destroy, they, they destroy scientific progress and call them exorcisms. Well. What what does her world have when that's gone?
1: I think there's two ways I would approach this answer. Number one is, just looking in the context of Lyra's world and in the book, mm-hmm. how often would the Metatron or any of his angels actually communicating with the t- higher-ups of the church, do you think?
0: I do not think they are. No. Period. So
1: it actually becomes irrelevant what mm-hmm. they... Th- that they were there because they weren't engaging with them. And then if you look at it in our world, um, look, say the Catholic church, as an example, um, if you take uh, an atheist standpoint, which I do reflect, and that there is no Mm. God, church looks the same whether or not there's God or not, because there never was a God, ergo, it's just what people do.
0: And the Pope, like, and, and I'm using the Pope because, again, I'm Catholic and I think this book is mostly reflecting on Catholicism, um, the Pope doesn't claim to speak directly to God. Like, he's not a cult leader. I mean, te- technically, in technical terms, he is a cult leader, because cult just means religion. But he's not, like, you know, a crazy cult leader who th- hears visions and stuff. He just is a, a Bible expert. Like, he just knows a lot about the Bible and can make the appropriate readings about what a church can do. You're right. Like, it doesn't... It's not supposed to be about... You literally hear the voice of God. It's supposed to be you already had the voice of God and you interpret it appropriately.
1: So, even in, by that internal logic, as soon as you get past the point of, say, the, the last prophet, you know, and the several religions that, you know, run off the same system to the same kind of core God, as soon as you get past the point mm. of the last prophet, you no longer need the God. Because <laughs> you have their word, they can go away now. Is that what you're saying?
0: we're acting in complete defiance of what i said we would do and divorcing ourselves from this <laughs> <laughs> we're just talking so about sorry. religion no it but... gets too
1: curious yeah going back to live as well so in the book of it but it's the thing because in will's world we have to assume mm. that it reflects our world and in yeah. will's world you know how engaged is the metatron the metatron in the story he didn't establish the level of authority that the church had in lyra's world that's just so happens how that world happened no it's like and the his Malathus. desire
0: is to do that like that's what lord Azrael says that his or not lord Azrael. i think it might be um one of will's guardian angels says that he intends to create an inquisition and he wants to enforce the same code of law on every world now just, i will say yeah i will say it would be very nice if God or the voice of God really did play a bit more of a hand because that would really just like sort out the whole religious conflict thing. If you could just confirm, just say, hey, 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 I think we had a bit of a game of telephone. Some people might have gotten the wrong impression on some things. This is the type of seafood you're allowed to eat. This is who you're allowed to have sex with. And this is what clothes you're allowed to wear. Is that all cool? Is that all cool? All right. Yes, a hand at the back, uh, women covering their heads. Okay, I have a, I have a PowerPoint for this. Let's go through it one by one. That would be I really mean, helpful.
1: It would be. And that's why I find quite interesting in this book that other than the actual authority and having the power over people, I don't think we really get much of an impression about the, what the Metatron actually cares about. Because he doesn't seem like the type of guy, Angel that cares about the minute details.
0: No, in fact, in, in, in Philip Pullman's depiction of God is purely that he is power-hungry. And an important aspect of this, which we haven't mentioned, is that he is not the creator. He is the first, but he's not the creator. Like, he just was there first. He was formed out of dust before any of the other angels, and he is indeed just an angel. And he told everyone else, this is what we're doing, I'm in charge, I am the authority. So, and, yeah,
1: Geordie... I think I mentioned this earlier. Um, How would you handle the interpretation then that in Lyra's world, there is still a god, but he just doesn't play a role in the the story? You know, there is a creating being who has a grand plan and is looking out for everyone. It's just not this group of people who claim to be angels or describe themselves Um, as angels. I
0: don't... I I think it... um, I think we're sort of in the same place as Lyra's world. I think the question onto that is... It really only matters what the authority decides to do. I don't mean the authority, the magisterium decides to do. Like, like Philip Pullman says, the conclusion of his story is liberal forces prevail. But, Duncan, liberal forces prevail in political systems quite often and only for a very short space of time before the fascists come back.
1: Well, if that's the case already, we may have to read the future books in this series to find out what happens next.
0: Is that a segue? Am I, are we ending the episode?
1: Only if you want to, my friend.
0: I've got one more thing to say, because we need to talk a little bit more about Lord Azrael. because I mentioned briefly early in the episode the Republic of Heaven, but we didn't yes. really delve into what that actually means and the moral charge which Philip Pullman hands to us. You know, this is a kid's book. It has a message.
1: Well, yes, the, I interpreted that message very strongly as you're responsible for your own actions and what you do. You mm. should do what you think is right. Which you is a good are the message. font
0: of your own goodness.
1: Yes, you just got to hope that Whatever you do in life, you will end up in the
0: same place. You will go to the underworld, and then if you choose to, you will be dispersed to the universe. And um, once again, I think that this is a really, really, really good ending. I think it is a very strong message takeaway. It's emotional. It got to me. It is exactly what I say in in how to form a moral framework without religion. It's the final answer to the anti-religious argument. God doesn't exist. It doesn't matter that he does. You are your own moral framework. You just have to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, and to say that. It's all about making the world a better place. That's what we should all be trying to do all the time, not worrying about our eternal souls and a potential next life. Lyra and Will are separated, but they have the same mission, to make a difference in their world. And you have to wonder, Lyra and Will are exceptional people. Is there further adventure? Will they succeed? And that's something that really fires my imagination. I really want to think about what would a world look like where Will and Lyra are going to grow up, in which they are going to try and change the world?
1: Oh, see, that's what I actually find really hard to imagine, because I want it to be a, like, and they they have huge success, but you also look at Will and Lyra go, you have done the Hero's Journey, well, not really the Hero's Journey, actually, that's to be unfair, but yeah, you have gone on no your question. there's no stage questions.
0: in the Hero's Journey where you accidentally kill God.
1: <laughs> but, like, you've overcome, like, the the villain, Of this piece has been like defeated in like the authority but then to actually bring about Mm. large scale systematic change i don't think i've ever read a book that's tackled that because i don't think i've ever known an author that really understood or any person that really understood how you even go about that because that's what they need to do and you're like
0: they're out there they're out there but we're reading fantasy novels
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, do you know what i would happily have a fantasy novel that tackles last girls and somatic change that would be very interesting maybe that's a good it would
0: be i'm sure we'll run across someone who's done it
1: so geordie did you like the book
0: i wish we hadn't spent so much time quibbling about it because i really did like this book i think it was my favorite
1: wow um i didn't feel the same
0: it has so much wrong with it but i really feel like the strong bits are so strong
1: I just feel a little different. Like I'm happy we quibbled about it because it is fun to quibble, and this of all the books in the series, it has the most quibbles. The strong bits yeah. are very strong, and reading it as an adult, I feel I could appreciate those strengths so much more. Um, and it it, it kind of delivers the point. It's the point of the trilogy. I think that the only real issue I have with the Amber Spyglass is mm. less so with the Amber Spyglass, and it's more so that the Amber Spyglass is the final in the trilogy of the Northern Knights and the Subtle Knife. Yeah and i'm glad you just agreed because that makes this a bit easier this is a very disjointed trilogy in a way the themes are consistent but the writing style and like the target audience is so kind of changing i spoke to my partner about this and i was like do you know how in like harry potter the books are kind of meant to like grow up with harry and get progressively darker she goes yes i'm Mm. like well you know how that's steadily done over seven books she goes yes i'm Mm -hmm. like imagine that except steeper and only over three books
0: yeah no one lost any fingers in the first book you know no. We'll spent a lot of the last two books just bleeding all over the place. And it's each chapter starts with, like, a John Milton quote. The reason why this book has such an impact on me is I think it just... I think it it does just stick the landing, you know? Like, it goes to such a different place from the first book. But there's something really wonderful about seeing Lyra grow up. I, I'm really attached to books that see characters change and grow if not in realistic ways, because Lyra grows up incredibly fast, but, you know, I find that really emotionally impactful. This book appeals to me in, in in its emotions. It's also the fact that it's simply something that I agree with, you know? I agree with this book's ultimate message about finding your own moral meaning and doing it without a religious bent to it. I think it's just well-placed. And also i just read the northern lights too many times you know this is my second time reading this book
1: It is that um, that kind of sticking the landing this book like you know we, we've most of our equivalents really we're world building and we've said many times mm. that we feel that's one of the least important things emotional said that, impact and the ultimate message of this book are delivered brilliantly and mm. that's what counts and yes i do feel his issues in terms of a series and it is hard because i want someone sort of maybe coming of age to read this series but it is a bit challenging to recommend because almost like the yeah. entry point and the exit point aren't quite aligned like if this if you were reading this when this first came out and you were like 11 when the first book came out and i don't mm. know what the exact years but you know thirteen in the second and fifteen in the final. It would probably work really nicely. Exactly.
0: That's exactly what I was just thinking, Duncan. Like, I wonder what sort of gap there was in between because I can't think he fired him out rapid fire. You know, it had to be a pretty big gap.
1: I mean, at the least the book's year, pretty long, not longer.
0: <laughs> it's got to be longer, right? It's got to be longer.
1: Short uh, books know, take
0: a year to, to like a year to to publish, not to write, but to publish.
1: Have you have you seen Brandon Sanderson's uh, writing speed?
0: You, but even those books, they're staggered. Like, this, just, he just moves on to the next one.
1: Oh, well, no, a series might be staggered, but then at the same time, he's like, oh, yeah, here's, a, here's the other series I'm keeping on the go at the that's same time. That's
0: what I'm though. saying. Two barrels. Bah, 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 bang, 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 bang. And the answer is no, I don't care. Um, okay. So I think that takes us to the end.
1: I think that's the end. I think the only other thing to really say is then, who do you recommend this book to, Geordie, and this series yeah, to?
0: Yeah, that is, that it's hard. And i got to say... I don't think I can recommend it to kids, even though I read it as a kid and I love the first book as a kid. I think if you are a parent, by all means, read the first book to your kids. You can, they could be nine, they could be 11, they could be 12 years old. And then say, you're going to have to read the second book. And if they fail to read it, that's understandable. Encourage them to do it. Give them to it as a project over the summer or something like that. But if they can't read it, there's a, probably a good reason for that. I also, I, f- I can't be, a, I, I forgot to mention this. But, um, the angels, um, Baroque and, um.
1: Um, Bathamos. Balthamoss?
0: Balthamus, thank you, thank you, Duncan. Well done, Duncan. Um, Baroque and Balthamus Uh, they were my first ever gay couple I ever read in a book, and that was that was impactful for me. So this book didn't have a, re- a a reaction for me from its religious front, but I did notice that, and it stood out to me, and it changed the way I saw the world. So thank you for that, Philip Pullman. I appreciate that a lot.
1: But yeah, Three stars on that. Um, yes. I kind of strongly agree with your year assessment olds there. And up. That's my answer. Yeah, I would say you know if a nine to twelve year old wants to tackle the first book help them with it give it to them but i really think to read the rest of the series i would say 14 and up it's just going to help so much more and if you're an adult who say read this as a kid and had the same reaction both of we have where you just went i didn't get the atmosphere glass i don't remember it that read it. well read it again reread it reread it it is really it's, good and if you're an an adult and you've never book. read it before please go read try the northern lights but enjoy it for what it is, which is that introduction. And Mm. do just kind of trust that the payoff and like the things do escalate. I would hate the idea of an adult going, I just, you know, it's it's a bit too YA for me. It's too too, for Mm. young kids based on the Northern Lights and then missing out on that climax.
0: So Duncan, my my girlfriend has actually been reading the Northern Lights, I think for the first time. Yeah, yeah, for the first time. And um, it's been really amusing for her to keep trying to speculate on what dust is. Like, uh, she's like, is it, is it energy? Is it a type of atom? Is it, like, people's heat? Is it their temperature? And finally, I got a text from her the other day speaking like, it's sin juice. So that was good.
1: So much to learn.
0: Yeah. I think it's time for the next book, Duncan.
1: I think it is. So before we do that, just a quick reminder: if you want to give us your opinions on the Amber Glass or any of the books in his Up Materials trilogy or any other book that we have covered or will be covering, uh, mm. the best way to do so is uh, is this Just Fantasy Podcast on Instagram or drop us a line on our email: it's justfantasypodcast at gmail Let us yes, know cause particularly can. this like, this is the th- this is all the books we've ever done is the deepest, most complex, multi-layered kind of ideas. I'd mm. love to hear what mm. other people think about this.
0: I um I we and we had our first um, positive written review from someone I didn't tell to write a review uh, <laughs> like the first unprompted written review on uh, on iTunes that was really exciting so thank you to the person who did that um I can't say your name because it's a series of nonsense letters uh, it's not a name at all but thank you very much we appreciate your listening ship
1: yes always uh, rate and subscribe is that what people say it does. Help us out. And it's very nice. It's very confirming. So, Geordie, next, next book, book. This is your pick. We've done a it trilogy. First pick. time we've done a whole trilogy back to back. It is.
0: Someone's... Yeah, you know what? Let's take a moment to say that. We've completed, like, I think one series in our whole Time Tunes podcast. This is the second one. The first one was Strange the Dreamer, a duology. Have we done another series?
1: Um, technically, we read all of the banned books released to date.
0: But that's not a series because we know there's another one coming.
1: Yeah, so no, I think this is it. This is the first full series we've ever done.
0: No, like I said, the second, oh, but yeah, it's all the first right, trilogy yeah, we've trilogy. ever done.
1: So, just happy to do it. It was a pleasure. I think it, yeah, it, it really has a different feel as a themes built throughout the books. Yeah. The and books
0: it was a big time investment. And that time investment is not done, Duncan, because this is not the last book in the series. Completed series, my foot, there's still the Bell Savage to go.
1: Is that where we're going?
0: No, it's not where we're going. Look, I just can't bring myself to read it. When it first came out, I was like, huh? And then people were like, it's going to continue the story of Lyra. And I went, wow, that's really interesting and exciting. That's a really bold choice. A grown-up Lyra, what happens in her world after the fall of the Magisterium? I really want to read that. And I went into Waterstones, I purchased the book, it was £3 off, that confused me, it was pretty new, I read the back cover, and it's a prequel. Oh. A prequel? I don't care! I know she lives! (laughs) So yeah, we're not gonna read that. We can (laughs) at some point in the future. I'm gonna decline to think of it as a sequel, so Duncan, I will give you permission to pick this book whenever you wish.
1: Thank you very much. Bell
0: Sauvage, the Book of Dust trilogy.
1: So, Geordie, what are we yes. going to read?
0: Now, Duncan, you mentioned another series, which we have not yet finished because the other book has not come out yet. So I'm not picking that book. But that book was recommended to us by Nicholas Eames, who was kind enough to come on our show and give us an interview. And he, was he sang the praises of a very exciting sounding book. And I think it's time we checked in on it. My understanding is that this is also an incomplete series, but it is just one book. And I think we need just one book. No more series. We need a, we need a break. And that book is The Black Tongue Thief.
1: I am very excited. I bought this book on Kindle many moons ago, and it's been <laughs> sat there waiting for me.
0: I think this is going to be the one. I don't know anything about this book other than the fact that it came highly recommended. But I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be great. And I think it's going to pick me out of my reading slump. I think this is going to perk me right up. God, that cover is gorgeous.
1: Absolutely is. A nice thing of black and a white and orange. Beautiful mm. composition. I am hit ready for it, mate.
0: I am as so well. So
1: I'll see you in a fortnight's time then. For our book club Let's session on The Black Tongue Thief.
0: righty. I've been your host, Geordie Bailey.
1: And I've been your other host, Duncan Nichol. Till next time.
0: So long. Bye-bye.
1: Bye bye. Bye.